0: Okay. I've picked my banter question, my super casual segment where we talk very, very casually about a question that we just think of and not definitely not look up. Right. That segment.
1: (laughs) Thank you, Evie.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. What do you think about this question? Um, As a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up?
1: Ooh. As a uh, kid. Okay. There (laughs) are no ifs, ands, or buts about this question. For most of my childhood, I regret to say I wanted to be an architect.
0: Oh, you regret to say that? That's a cool. I do regret
1: to say that.
0: That's kind of a cool child- Wish though, I think you think so. Yeah, I think I think it's cool.
1: But tell me why I am. Um, so I was like obsessed with. Well, so STEM was like really. Does architect? I feel like architecture maybe counts. No, maybe it doesn't count as STEM.
0: Oh yeah, no, I, de- I, architecture. I definitely there's would math. count it as STEM. Yeah, I know. I definitely would.
1: Yeah, would in the, um, or
0: or in this in the broader. At least in Steam, you know, like if you add art in there,
1: right, right, yeah, yeah. I definitely was 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 a STEM kid. Like I found math and science the subjects that I really liked. However, um, as a child, I was very naturally artistic. I drew all the time, and you can ask ask my parents uh, if <laughs> if you want to. Do. Um, I spent a lot of time getting cardboard boxes and making model homes out of them and did you did you not know that have we ever talked
0: about this no that's so cute that's so cool
1: (laughs) thank you thank you so and but it wasn't like a thing that like my parents did with me it was like a thing i did on my own
0: i feel like that makes it even cooler
1: yeah, and I, I made, like, a, I, had, I didn't play with a lot of stuffed animals or dolls. Like, I wasn't, like, a doll's kid. But, you know, we had stuffed animals. I have an mm-hmm. older sister who did play with stuffed animals and liked them when she was a kid. And um, we had a lot of older cousins when I was growing up. And so a lot of those toys became mine. And I would build, like, schools for them and things like that. Mm-hmm. And... um. Even books, I remember like getting pieces of paper, just like a single sheet of paper, and then folding it into halves until it was small enough to be like the size of whatever creature's book. It it could be like so if it was like okay. a little teddy bear, just the size is oh, gotcha. proportionate to like what a book size would be for that teddy bear. Yeah, and then I would mm-hmm. um, staple that down the middle and make a cover for it so I would give them like cool. places to live. I know it was really weird. Really, really weird. But I also drew a lot as well. Mm-hmm. So uh yeah I wanted to be an architect for a long time.
0: <laughs> I like that. That's like a I feel like that's a unique answer. Huh. That's a unique answer. As a as a kid though. Like I don't I don't yeah. know if I understood architect like what architecture
1: was until mm, seventh grade maybe. Right, right, maybe, yeah. That was me with engineering. I, I, I thought the things mm-hmm. that it, like an engineer or like a tech does is cool. I just didn't know that it was called that. I didn't know how you did that as a job. Actually, I didn't even know you could yeah. do that as a job. I thought it was more like, oh, like you play with Lego robotics, or I, I didn't really think that you could do it. Like automation was not a thing that I thought of as a career.
0: Yeah, I see. I see what you're saying, but I think, and that's why I guess I think of architecture as STEM because of uh, like hand drafting, mm-hmm. which I, which is very. St- that's actually where I found out about architecture. Okay, um, and engineering, I guess. But yeah, so when I was a kid, I I like didn't even understand. I didn't even know. I wasn't really a STEM kid growing up. Like, I never was, like, I guess, I guess I never really grasped sci- science. Like, I really liked Legos, but I never, like, I, actually, I did some things. Like, I did, like, what What do you call it? Like, those Rube Goldberg things with my oh, mom. Oh, like the
1: pulleys and, yeah, and I the, felt, the yeah, dominoes. I, and-
0: yeah, I loved those things. So, I did, uh, my mom and I did those a lot with my sister um, but I wanted to be a chef for a while, um, for like when I was really little. And then I, I really wanted to be a police officer and oh, I did wow. it and I, I did it actually did a youth Why? Why police. That, <laughs> um, I don't know if this came before or after, like, I don't know if I w- wanted to be a police officer. And then I, then my uh-huh. mom signed me up for a youth police academy. Thing in the summer mm-hmm. or if th- those were reversed like i went to the police academy and then i really wanted to be right. a police officer um wow yeah i really wanted to be a police officer for a while up until seventh grade and then i took um technical drafting class <laughs> and, um as an elective that's then, what
1: did it for you though
0: <laughs> then, <laughs> wow drafting is so cool <laughs> I, can't, I can't wait to draw squares the rest of my life <laughs> I want to do this for the next forty-five years, <laughs> and then and then I got to high school, and then <laughs> CAD completely took out spit drafting. <laughs> <laughs> CAD completely spit on drafting, and I was like, "Wow, the career I want—I want to do for—I for, want to do for forty-five years doesn't even exist." To spit anymore. All over
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. really that's yeah. pretty cool i see see that's something i don't i don't know if i knew that about you the whole police academy thing what did you mm. do what do you do in police academy
0: oh sorry it was the best actually i don't think i i can't i cannot do a i have not been able to do a pull-up even just one pull-up since <laughs> since i was like in sixth grade in police academy it was so cool like i i just loved it we we, we did, like, formation marches, and we had to, like, <clears throat> work out intensely every morning, and they were, like, really strict, which was, like, kind of cool. Like, they were very, like, strict about the way you're, um, you, we had, like, little shirts and, like, pants and so, like, a little uniform thing, and we had to, like, make sure it was tucked in, and we had to have our, like, our hands next to our sides as we wa- as we walked. It's so cute. I know we're like all children and stuff. <laughs> we're all kids,
1: <laughs>
0: and but it was really cool when we got to, um, like, practice being a police officer. So practice walking into buildings. Um, they like taught you some actually pretty like real stuff about being a police officer. I felt like, and then yeah, like we get we got to practice like uh, pulling someone over. <laughs> Stuff oh. like that.
1: so and actually I, that's crazy
0: not only did oh, i ahead. do police academy but both of my sisters also went through police academy chloe just recently went through police academy like well not recently like a couple years ago
1: wow. year, two, one year ago maybe yeah so wow so yeah. you can be pretty pretty young to be in police academy then
0: yeah i think it's a fifth sixth grade thing it's only fifth sixth that's grade pretty neat.
1: yeah that's pretty neat. Do yeah. you know that one of my pipe dreams right now is to be a police officer? Really? How interesting. <laughs> yeah. I know. Something that I don't share often. I just want to give sure. people tickets. I hate the way people drive, you know?
0: I see what you're saying. I, but I, I hate, hate that getting cop. tickets. So.
1: Yeah, see, that's why I don't tell anyone. See, that's why you didn't you didn't know Ooh, that.
0: <laughs> so now I know that. I don't know. I don't know if we can do this podcast anymore, Sarah.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just, just use your blinkers. That's all. That's all I ask. <laughs> That's all I ask. Uh, okay. Yeah. You go. No, you go. Okay. I'm Haley. And I'm Syra. We love learning. We love discovering. And we love talking. Are we experts on literally everything? Absolutely not. But how will we learn if we never start the conversation? So, we hope you'll join us for this literal journey. Haley, we are going back in time today. I feel like we started in, quote, history, like with Mary Anderson and Xiang Xiang and and all those ladies. And then you kind of brought us to present day a little bit. But now I'm taking us back to the past. This is a story you and I had talked about briefly. But the more I began to learn about this woman, the more floored I was by her story. So over a hundred years ago, West Virginia Mountain Mama Catherine Johnson was born. And Haley, you know, I've often made jokes about not playing Gears of War so much. And although every single time I make those jokes, it's funny, totally right. When I was reading about this lady, I was like, okay, I really gotta reevaluate <laughs> some <laughs> of the stuff that I do in my life. Um, and so I want quick caveat quick plug i would like all of our listeners to know that it has in fact been a few weeks since i took the oath to take a break from gears of war no praise necessary but that's out there now so just subtle snaps <laughs> yeah i was just gonna say snap your- <laughs> thank you um so one of the reasons for this is that i found out that kj oh it's something gonna call her every once in a while maybe um was a high school freshman at the age of 10 10 high school freshman 10 yeah 10 Ooh, okay that's like the number of fingers that we have is how old she was
0: Mm, interesting
1: yep yep and so she continued her prowess and graduated high school at 14 and then as you guessed college at 18 Mm. in 1953 She joined the National Advisory Committee on Aeronautics. Do you know what that is? I do not. Most people probably don't, and I did not till about seven hours ago. That is what NASA was called before it became NASA. Interesting. Can you repeat what that was? Yes. So it is the National Advisory Committee on aeronautics naca, NACA. <laughs> <Yeah>. yes so <laughs> just wanted to make who's sure glad, who's glad they went with nasa and so just <laughs> just so we're all on the same page nasa is the national aeronautics and space administration who knew she, she probably she probably knew katherine johnson probably knew probably yeah oh um, yeah anyway so haley i went to some college degree website to find out what kind of math people doing aerospace math be doing and <laughs> one of the maths was vector vector calculus so i looked into that and i watched a couple of videos and i feel like it's pretty safe to say that you should not trust me to calculate your trajectories maybe if it's something <laughs> you stay on the ground vector calculus i don't even and, know if i know what that yes entails well i'm going to teach you all about a a very small bit of it
0: (laughs) thank goodness (laughs) so
1: according to my girl wikipedia vector calculus or vector analysis is concerned with differentiation and integration of vector fields primarily in three-dimensional euclidean space in that name, Euclid in, of Euclidean space is a whole other story. But anyway, I stumbled upon something else called the divergence theorem. And I watched this video, and I think it explained it in a way that I kind of understand. The YouTuber says, The divergence theorem is supposed to give you a way to calculate a surface integral around a closed surface. The boundary of the surface integral is your surface, and you take into consideration the vector field in space and the normal vector of the surface. So thinking about what that means, do you remember um, how to do integrals and how if you have the area under a curve, then you take slices of the area and then the smaller... And more infinites- in- infinitesimal, those slices are, the closer you get to, like, the true area. So then you do, yes. like, an integral. Yep, yeah. So I, I think this is essentially that, but with a three-dimensional object. Oh, I think so... I've done this before then. Ooh, okay. So I had never even thought about this, or I, I don't think yeah. I've heard about it. Um. Do you remember which which class you would have done that in, or...? yeah so after calc two i took um
0: actually i think it was one of my favorite math courses um multivariate calculus
1: oh yeah actually i think i told you about
0: told you about this because like i think did i tell you that my like professor she like kind of nonchalantly told us that you could calculate the fourth dimension like you could like
1: I do remember you saying that. Yeah. And I was like, maybe this is how they do that. (laughs) I was like, how did you just casually mention
0: like calculating the fourth (laughs) dimension? But, but okay. Yeah. No. So go on, go on. I think, I think we're on the same
1: page. Okay. Yeah. So from my understanding from watching like five minutes of this video, that is what you do um, as a small portion of, of calculus, underneath the divergence theorem. And so the divergence mm-hmm. theorem, instead of you doing all those tiny little portions, you use a triple integral over the solid region of the differential volume. So you're using the volume somehow and the integral of those volumes to then give you a bigger picture Wow! Of the whole shape. Yeah, so I yeah. Think does that make sense?
0: No, that makes yeah, that makes a lot of sense.
1: Okay, yeah, I, I think I think from what I understood that that's what it sounded like it he was saying, and so mm-hmm. with, apparently without the theorem, like I said, you would have to split up all of those surfaces, which is crazy to think about, right? Like especially if it's not a regular shape, how would you yeah. like if you had I don't know a cube or something? It's kind of a more regular shape, and so you have sort of these equal sizes maybe that you could split things up into maybe smaller cubes or whatever i don't know but then or i guess with the cube then you kind of just can do <laughs> cube is a bad example maybe
0: like a sphere would be yeah like
1: a sphere yeah yeah um so yeah so then you you could you would have to split up each of the surfaces into their own service integral mm-hmm. and then calculate them individually oh and so horrible i know and so i think this is relevant um so i didn't i didn't read anything that said katherine johnson did this specifically in a degree or in a course or anything but i think she had to have been because uh thinking about the the factors that you take into consideration the vector field in space Mm -hmm. so like how the atmosphere around the object behaves. That's something you have to take into consideration. And then the normal vector of the surface. So the characteristics of the actual object and then use the triple integral stuff. So those are the two things you have to take into consideration. The atmosphere around the object and then the object itself and the characteristics of the object itself. And so what does that sound like? What would you use that for in aerospace?
0: Like... Is this where you're getting to, like, trajectories?
1: Yeah, okay. launching a rocket, or, oh. yeah, right? I mean, yeah, you, you need to know those things. You need to know the shape mm-hmm. of the object. You need to know, that's why uh, I think in Hidden Figures, one of the main things, or maybe I was watching Space Force on Netflix. It's, it's all a blur. <laughs> but- <laughs> I was watching Star Wars. I just, I don't know. Maybe I was, Yeah. <laughs> i don't know what i was watching but i know that uh the weather was a huge portion of it and and Mm -hmm. even pilots you know when they fly out weather is a huge thing atmosphere is a huge thing so that to me made a whole lot of sense as to why an aerospace mathematician would be using that and so cool So the triple integral stuff is what helps you to relate all those components to each other and solve for that surface integral. So without losing us all, I just want to jump back into podcast land and say this is the stuff that Katherine Johnson was doing despite all the things that were against her, you know, in -hmm. this time of the country. And we think of doctors and nurses and people in the medical field as being... In the business of saving lives or having the ability to be in life and death situations and have like an outcome, but we don't think of mathematicians having that on their docket. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. A little bit more about that math I learned on wolfram.com, though. It references a paper she co authored Determination of Azimuth Angle at Burnout for Placing a Satellite over a selected earth position that's the whole title of the paper oh yeah sounds like a the title of a panic at the disco song (laughs) it's like two sentences long yeah and it says that the paper deals with the problem of making sure that a satellite can be placed over a specific earth location after a specified number of orbits given a certain starting position for example cape Canaveral, Florida, and orbital trajectory. So the azimuthal angle is the angled form by the spacecraft's velocity vector at the time of engine shutoff with a fixed reference direction. So this is what she was calculating. (laughs) Wow. (sighs) Yes. Wow is a, I feel like wow is is a good word for it. And so here are some of the variables she needed to know, Haley, and use for her calculation. And I'll just read you from the list that I saw on Wolfram.com. This is what they're theorizing that her, based on the paper and based on what they know about aerospace, Mm -hmm. these are some of the variables she would have had to use. So you have things like the satellite velocity, circular orbit radius, elevation angle between local horizon and velocity vector and degrees. Circular orbit velocity, P is the semi-lattice rectum of the orbit ellipse, semi-major axis of orbit in feet, time from perigree for theta 1, oh, I guess just for the first angle, where theta one is the angle in or oh yep where theta one is the angle in orbit between the perigree and burnout i don't even know what perigree means or perigee
0: half of these words are going over my head
1: (laughs) anyway there's there's a whole there's a whole bunch of variables let's just say she needed to know and i definitely recommend checking this page out because i think it does do a good job of explaining this complex stuff Then it concludes by talking about some of the programs you can use to calculate this stuff. But, Katherine Johnson didn't have these programs, so she had to do all of this by hand. And someday, we can grab Alex maybe and chat about more aerospace stuff specifically. But for now, we'll jump back into KJ as a person. So NASA says, she figured out the paths for the spacecraft to orbit Earth and to land on the moon. NASA used Catherine's math and it worked. NASA sent astronauts into orbit around Earth. Later, her math helped astronauts to the moon and back. NASA could not have done these things without Catherine Johnson and her love for math. So I just love that the credit and the praise that all of that just then was um, a quote from NASA.
0: Wow, that's really cool.
1: Yeah, I think that really stood out to me because I, you know, was thinking about our first couple episodes where we were talking about things that women didn't get credit for. And so here here is this page just like singing her praises. And I'm not sure that I'm not sure how soon after she did these things Mm -hmm. this article was written. However, I just thought it was nice regardless to be singing her praises like that.
0: Yeah, and especially, like, talking about, like, struggles that she faced um, besides this. It, it is nice that she is getting that recognition that she deserves.
1: mundo. So, another article on the website, formerly known as NACA, when asked to name her greatest contribution to space exploration... Johnson would talk about the calculations that help sync Project Apollo's lunar module with the lunar orbiting command and surface module. So this is all a quote. Mm-hmm. She also worked on the Space Shuttle and the Earth Resources Technology Satellite, Earths E-R-T-S, later renamed Landsat, and authored or co-authored 26 research reports. She retired in 1986. After thirty-three years at Langley, I loved going to work every single day. She said, "End quote."
0: Oh, that's so cool! Yeah, <laughs> isn't it crazy? Like, like where do you get started? Like, how how do you go from from just learning about like something like this that you're passionate in, and then thirty years later having all of these written manuscripts and and all of this knowledge? It's just so astounding to me. And even thirty years to me feels short,
1: huh yeah, I don't know we'll maybe, maybe not maybe
0: not,
1: but let's touch base again um in thirty years, and <laughs> we'll talk about it um good idea so and among among some of her other achievements, by the way, we have her work on the Friendship Seven, and that art, that article says in nineteen sixty two as NASA prepared for the orbital mission of John Glenn. Johnson was called upon to do the work that she would become most known for. The complexity of the orbital flight had required the construction of a worldwide communications network, linking tracking stations around the world to IBM computers in Washington, Cape Canaveral in Florida, and Bermuda. The computers had been programmed with the orbital equations that would control the trajectory of the capsule in Glenn's Friendship 7 mission from liftoff to splashdown, but the astronauts were wary of putting their lives in the care of the electronic calculating machines, which were prone to hiccups and blackouts. Not that I can make a computer capable of such things, but I mean, that's pretty scary.
0: (laughs) Oh yeah, that's insane.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I guess if you think about how many things like we trust right now to computers.
0: (sighs) I was just going to
1: say that. (laughs) Yeah. Probably be scary. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Like, I don't know the things like I rely on the computer to tell me or like the calculator. She's kind of beating technology. I mean, I know the technology wasn't as advanced as it is today, but. To be like smarter than a computer in her situation. That's that's something that not everyone gets to say.
1: <laughs> yeah, that there's a point where you're smarter than an IBM trajectory calculator. <laughs> yeah, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so then there's a scene in the movie where you meet that astronaut, the John Glenn guy. Mm, okay. And this is a real guy. He's in the movie, and he is also based on that real-life character. He's the first American to orbit Earth. And in the movie, he has a reverence for Katherine Johnson. And before he goes up on this amazing, famous, groundbreaking flight, he asks Katherine to check the math of the computations. And so think about like how wowing that is. I was just thinking that for me, watching that was so empowering and probably for a lot of other people because I was even more encouraged when I found out that that, that actually happened. So NPR wrote a piece on this after the movie came out, and I think it was, I can't remember if the piece that they wrote was shortly after she died, or she, she only died last year, by the way. Oh, really? Like yeah, she was 101 years when she died.
0: Oh, wow, I had no idea.
1: Yeah. Um, so NPR wrote a, wrote a piece on, after the movie came out, and it says in the piece, but when he, John Glenn, got ready to go, he said call her and if she says the computer is right I'll take it. Well, wow. <laughs> yeah, he much more rather put his life in Katherine Johnson's hands than a computer and apparently there wow. was some pushback from higher ups to you know get him to talk to her because she was a woman of color and she was a woman and this is the 60s. Mm-hmm. And he yeah he's he stuck by what he wanted and so he went to her and so just a little bit more about that so again this is 1962 jim Mm -hmm. crow laws are still in force for a few more years and brown versus board of ed that case that finally ruled that segregating schools was unconstitutional that happened just 10 years ago at this point less than 10 years ago at this point actually um, I guess the, the school she went to in West Virginia, the graduate school, decided to integrate in 1939. But she, she was one of three Black students who got to integrate the school. And this was so rare, the integration of the Black students, that many people considered to be one of the most notable, notable moments in their life. What do you think about that, Haley? This lady wow. breaking the ground like that being the youngest in her class accelerating in high school in college in grad school in NASA being the person that someone literally trusts their life to because she's so reliable and she's so smart what do you think about that
0: wow that's crazy and especially like at that time i wonder like what the other people were thinking too like not only like was she a woman but also a woman of color to like probably they were probably so surprised him asking right
1: yeah like asking for her opinion i think probably a lot of people were put off by it yeah just thinking about little challenges i i'm not sure if this is um one of the parts that is based on fact but i i can i have no trouble believing that this was based on fact that in the movie you see katherine johnson go to the building that she was assigned to work on those trajectories in. Mm -hmm. But there was no bathroom for uh, coloreds, as they were referred to at the time, Mm -hmm. in that building. So whenever she had to go to the bathroom, she had to walk quite a ways. She had to to leave the building and walk to a different part of the campus to go to the bathroom. And so just thinking about the challenge of that and, and learning a little bit more about her life Um, she had i think two kids at the time she lost her first husband to cancer and so she's a single mom and going through all of these personal challenges and professional challenges and academic challenges and then still coming out so fear forceful and yeah
0: (sighs) It makes you think of like all like the the smaller discouraging things that you go on like that you that you deal with on a day to day. You're like, wow, (laughs) like nothing compared to what she went through, and then also to do the crazy cool things
1: that she was able to do. Wow, now that's empowering, right? (sighs) And then and then also to to think about it too because Haley. I like that you mentioned that we go through small things, and it's not as maybe hard as what she's gone through. And and I do I do agree that that's true. But I think this also helped me realize that you know people we're holistic creatures. People like when someone says something mean to you, even the some something as simple as that, maybe it doesn't change your whole story, but it is impactful, and it can be very impactful. And so we have to inspire each other to kind of, I guess, understand, like sympathize with those things and know that we, we have to empower each other to not get chained by those things. And, and this is a STEM podcast and it is for everyone, but it's also to open the eyes to situations like this because, they're not all things of the past and as women and more so women of color but as women in general we want our merits to speak for themselves we want to ride our own waves and stand out for who we are and what we've achieved but like this or not this is what we need we need a john glenn to empower us we yeah. need these men to be part of that change you know and true change so, yeah. will never come about unless they participate
0: no, I, I was gonna bring that up too. I'm I'm glad you said it about how like like a uh, men advocating for women. Like we need we need that. <laughs> like I think we've already said it yeah. on the podcast a few times, but yeah, all these stories. Like it's so clear that like men need to be advocates too because he could have easily been like, oh, a woman. Like mm, you know, I guess we could maybe talk to her, but let's trust the computer
1: or right he, he
0: could like he could have taken maybe what his colleagues were saying to personal you know i feel like a lot of men do that maybe they think oh we should maybe incorporate this woman but then the I, f- I feel like i feel like people can be easily persuaded too right and so you almost need that um like a a confidence within men to make it okay to to kind of boost up women if that makes sense
1: right right exactly and i was watching on netflix the other day the madam cj walker story Mm. and all of my opinions about it aside i thought one part in particular was interesting that they were at this black i think inventors convention or something like that black entrepreneurs or something and it was Basically, all men and um, they, Madam CJ Walker, she wanted to be considered to speak at the convention and kind of advertise her products. And her in the Netflix special competitor, she, I think her name was Addie. She also wanted to do the same thing because she found out that it was Madam C.J. Walker's idea. So she wanted to compete and get the same thing to happen to her. So she finally gets to the convention, the the rival does, and then they get her up there and then they make her... I think they just make her, like, say a greeting or something. I can't even remember what it was. But they basically, they wouldn't give her the time of day. Mm. And it was because she was a woman. And the whole reason I bring that up is because... I think that that is what holds men back from from lifting women up is when they see us as competition Mm. instead of their fellow human beings that they can even benefit by empowering and yeah there there needs to be that rising up of this is a person and they're their ideas are valuable and if they succeed it is not a shot to my ideas or my creativity or my confidence Mm -hmm. i we can we can both succeed we can both be successful in this world exactly
0: yeah Yeah. i I almost think that there's like um like a fitting in aspect of it too like you like you want to to look good in front of the other felt like men want to look good in front of men. So it's like lifting up the women. Sometimes if they're sexist men, (laughs) then it's hard to like, I think men, they do want to like fit in as well. And so I think it's like trying to break out of that. Right.
1: So yeah, it's this vicious cycle of if there's someone beneath you, then you're not at the bottom. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah.
0: I just wanted to say that I thought it was really cool how you connected multivariate calculus to a real world example like that, because I don't know when I was taking the class, like it was very just like, I don't know. I feel like sometimes calculus in general is hard to just learn and understand how it's applied. And so I really appreciate like kind of knowing an example because I really enjoyed that multivariate calculus class. So it's really cool now knowing like an application that I guess I never would have thought of.
1: Uh an application that it's useful in. Yeah, and I mean I have not personally taken multivariable calculus but mm-hmm. and I he the person in the the YouTube video did not talk about rockets or why that would or that being like a situation mm-hmm. Sure, you could use di- divergence theorem, but I really think that it makes sense that it would get used there because the every component of that physical object and every component of the space in which it fills is important, you know. Mm-hmm. And me, me, and uh, a coworker that you probably remember a little bit fondly, we actually talked about the projection of a rocket for a while one day was one of the first conversations we ever had really and yeah and it was very interesting because he and it seems so obvious but when we calculate things like that in class we're just like okay here's mass times acceleration Mm -hmm. this is gravity and yada 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 but he he was like think about it there is so much more acting on an object than that. Like everything is a factor, everything. Like if I am walking to school, then there are certain things that are acting on me that I don't notice mm-hmm. because I'm in a stable, if you will, condition. I'm in a stable. Ooh, that's state. interesting but you know if i'm kind of leaving the stability of the earth's pull of gravity then certain things start to be more noticeable and then i become oh. more exposed to certain elements in space like for example we we just talked about it earlier temperature is is a thing that um is important because what does temperature bring it changes the moisture content in the air. Uh, it changes yeah. the humidity, which I guess is kind of is related to moisture content.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: it's, it changes then the density I would think of the air because if there's more particles of moisture in there, maybe the air is heavier. Like that's why yeah. they, they, when there's more moisture in the air, you tend to feel warmer. I guess when mm. it's more, humid, you tend to feel warmer because there's sort of like that weight of that oh, moisture, that's such and an so, interesting connection. I, th- I mean, I'm, th- I think no, and, yeah,
0: but I like, I like your way of thinking. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you. Um, and so, all of these things. So, it's not just gravity. It's not just mass. It's not just acceleration. It's, it's all of these tiny little things that we don't even we can't see and we don't think about that are definitely acting on this object. And when you are Flying into outer space, and you are a mathematician who is trying to help that endeavor. Then you gotta know which things are critical and which things yeah. are not, and what amounts of things are critical and what amounts of things are not. And oh my gosh, like, so much. What's what's, what's <laughs> one of the a favorite thing of a physics professor to say? This or that is negligible, right? <laughs> Uh, Uh,
0: if we could add up all of the negligible things,
1: take a drink every time you're a physics professor, (laughs) (laughs) like, but don't,
0: (laughs) yeah, exactly, yeah, but don't. Um, but yeah, everything's negligible, right? Everything is the
1: answer is zero, (laughs) everything is negligible, but in Uh, reality, nothing is negligible depending on your application
0: wow that's so, so
1: cool that's interesting yeah. so that's uh that's my profound thought for the day nothing is negligible depending on your application <laughs> i'm gonna get that tattooed <laughs> that's the matching tattoo we'll get oh I nothing, like is that. <laughs> nothing is
0: negligible
1: nothing is negligible de- depending on your a- something really long it's going it under our lips oh <laughs> i'm gonna need a bigger lip <laughs> okay fine um yeah so that's that's what i got for you today hail Bill. Cool.
0: all right well thank you cyrus so much for writing another great and super informative podcast uh i definitely need to get to watching hidden figures um because you're talking about katherine johnson and learning about her was very inspiring and so i'm definitely excited to to go out and see the movie now As always, head over to our Literally Actually Links Google Doc for further learning about today's episode. And we hope you'll join us for our next episode. Also, stay tuned because we have a very exciting lineup of guests coming your way.
1: Yes, Haley. We have some uh, women who are forces to be reckoned with, one of my favorite phrases. And I think that you will not, we will not, regret having them and our listeners will not regret hearing from them they're amazing ladies and they have a lot to teach us
0: yes and so with that we will say see you next time goodbye
1: bye